Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. This week's episode, we answer the questions, how do we make psychological safety practical and actionable? There are so much research out about the psychological safety, the four steps, all these things. But the hardest part about psychological safety is how do we make it real? What behaviors can leaders take to transition from the research to implementing and increasing their psychological safety? And so we have two experts on the show this week to talk about specifically that. And they're folks I actually met in the psychological safety training that I took, Minette Norman and Dr. Carolyn Helbig. Funnily enough, this podcast was actually one of the reasons why Carolyn reached out to Minette to actually start writing the book. So as much as we want to talk about the ripple effect, this is one of the things that came out of this show. And if you're thinking about going back in the archives, Minette has actually been on the show with us twice before. Episode 18, talking about inclusive leadership and workplace bullying, and episode 39, talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've dropped those links in the podcast notes, so you can check those out there. And obviously, for them, you can check out their website talking about the psychological safety playbook at thepsychologicalsafetyplaybook.com. I've dropped that in the podcast notes as well. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a rating and review on Apple and on Spotify. We would really appreciate that. We'd also really appreciate if you shared it with any leaders in your life, we're always out to increase that ripple effect and you are a key factor to making that happen. And lastly, for all things high-performance leadership, one-on-one high-performance leadership, mindset coaching, conflict management, emotional intelligence, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for more information. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And here's the interview with Minette Norman and Dr. Carolyn Helbig. Welcome back to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm your host flying solo today. Robert is out doing something very exciting. He is in his final stages of preparation for his big move to Costa Rica tomorrow. So we gave him the shift off and we decided to play in an all-female locker room today. And I couldn't be more excited. We have one of our favorite guests of all time back, Manette Norman. So good to see you again. Thanks for having me back. Yay. And, And Caroline... Helbig. And they are back today to talk all about psych safety and more specifically how we get out into the trenches and affect change in regards to psych safety, how we actually can perform different exercises and applications in real time. This is going to be a show you definitely don't want to miss. Uh, They just wrote the book, The Psychological safety playbook and lead more powerfully by being more human. Oh, 
I know we're going to love this conversation. There's so much alignment here. Ladies, welcome to the studio. Minette, I'm going to start with you because our audience obviously recognizes you from being in studio before. But for those listening who aren't familiar with your last interview, can you just plug our audience into who you are and what really brought you to this whole psychological safety space? Sure. So I spent uh, 30 years in the software industry in Silicon Valley. I'm in California. I started as a tech writer. I ended as a VP of engineering. And in that last job, I was driving very large scale change across an organization. And I realized that the technical challenges were not the real challenges. It was really about how people interacted. And I got very interested in collaboration And that led me to reading about psychological safety and having this aha moment of this is really foundational to a healthy culture where everyone can do their best work. And then I left the industry in 2019 and started my own leadership consulting and speaking business. And here I am today with my wonderful co-author, Caroline Helbig. So I'll let her tell her brief story. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here together with Minette. And um, yeah, my journey to psychological safety was a little bit different one. I'm a um, scientist by training, so with a PhD in human genetics, and always eager to understand how human beings really function. Um, And for years, I was um, with McKinsey as a top management consultant, and now I'm independent leadership consultant too. And I see psychological safety really as the secret source of high-performing teams and really something where leaders need to put emphasis on and um, cultivate this climate deliberately so that their teams can perform in um, in the best way. All right. The secret sauce for high performance. You see why I said that this is going to be an interview you don't want to miss, folks? Let's break that down. For anybody listening out there who doesn't already drink the Kool-Aid as much as we clearly do here uh, in our group, let's break this down in terms of what psychological safety even means and how is it the secret sauce for high performance? Who wants you, to take this minute? We'll I'll start. start with you. I'll start. And if I miss anything, I know Caroline will help. We're, we're a very good duo. So we, we complement each other nicely. So psychological safety, to understand it, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to know the academic research. What you need to be is a human being because every human being needs this feeling and craves this feeling, which is that in a team setting, I can show up and I can ask a question. I can make a mistake. I can be myself as what, as much as I want to be myself at work. I can take a risk and I know that I will not be embarrassed or excluded or even potentially humiliated for doing any of those things. That's really what it means. And it's, it's a feeling more than anything else that this is a safe place for me to show up and do my best work. And that might mean challenging the status quo. And why it's so important is that. When, when we have it, when we have a high degree of psychological safety, teams actually benefit from all the talent that is present because everyone can fully share their ideas and right. innovation happens. We identify risks. We identify potential opportunities because people are willing to speak up and speak out. 
But when we don't have it, that's when things get really dire because you may have a very talented, very diverse team, but everyone feels like I don't dare speak up. I'm not going to challenge anything. I'm not even going to raise that risk because I'll be, you know, excluded if I do that. And right. so we, we miss huge opportunities. Performance goes down, engagement goes down and innovation goes down. So in a nutshell, that's what it is and why it's so important. Yeah, it's so important and it's rare. And the reason why it's rare is that it's not happening automatically. It's not our default. Our default, our brain is just hardwired for avoiding risk, for sensing any threat there might be. So that was very useful in, in former times when we had to run away from saber-toothed tigers or something. But now... It's the manager, our manager frowning or someone shaking their head or something. And this is by our brain is perceived as exactly the same threat and the fight, flight, freeze response kicks in and we can't do creative thinking anymore. So psychological safety is really a climate that needs to be cultivated deliberately. It's not happening automatically. So it's rare and it's something which... Um, yeah, it needs to be done deliberately, but it can be done deliberately. There are easy and simple actions um, that leaders can take to foster this climate. And that's exactly what our book is all about, what leaders can actually do. And it's a practice. It's an ongoing practice every day, in every meeting, interaction, and so on. We can do something to foster psychological safety. It's not kind of... an um, Uh, a destination to be reached. It's really a journey and a ongoing practice. So is this something that leaders are learning about in whatever preparation they have for leadership? Is this something that they're learning about in school? Is this something that they're learning about when they join the organization, get promoted to leadership? Where or where does a leader start to develop those types of practices? Oh, I wished, I wished they would learn it <laughs> from the beginning on. Actually, I wished that um, kids learn it at school. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Amen. How our brain works and what can be done about it and so on. However, it turns out we never learn it actually. And um, leadership trainings um, focus on all sorts of other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They practically never focus on those kinds of skills and techniques and actions. And so we suggest that um, this is really part of um, leadership development that should be part of um, leadership development and also of onboarding, of promotions, of feedback and so on. Yeah, that is so true. You know, I, I managed teams for like 20 years in the software right. industry. I just stumbled upon research about it very late in my career. I was already in my 50s when I heard about it. No one ever taught me any of these things. And I took a million management and leadership classes. So mm -hmm. I wish to Caroline's point, this were ingrained in our education system and that everyone who goes into any kind of leadership management position were well-versed in this. And that's why we provided this book so they can catch up now. And is this because 
we're not being exposed to the like actual research behind psychological safety until a certain point, or what is responsible for that gap in terms of why it's not being represented in most leadership development and training? Well, you know, that's interesting. I, and Pauline, I'd be interested to hear your feedback on this. I think that um, the the research has been out there a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, Amy, Amy Edmondson's been researching this for decades. She's super well-known. Her book, The Fearless Organization and Teaming, those are well-known books. There are mm-hmm. other books out there. There was research before her on it. So I don't think it's a lack of research. Right. I think it's a lack of practice. Usually it the, isn't. Right, right. Like, <laughs> I mean, and also who in business is doing a lot of reading academic research? That's not usually the focus. Right. It's, exactly. You know, you want to be, you want actionable or, or books that and, and literature and training. Mm-hmm. So I think it was that it's that lack of practical, like there's a lot of why, why we need it, I think is mm-hmm. often fairly well understood. It's the how. The how is not well documented. Mm-hmm. And we were really trying to close that gap. In fact, when Carlene and I met in a psychological safety assessment class based on Amy's work. We both had this feeling of where's the practical? What do I do next? And that's that's how it came to be that we ended up working on this because we couldn't find that material we were looking for. That's what I was really trying to get at, right? Is like this this continues to be a huge gap that we're trying to step into and fill now, knowing as much as we do about how this fuels and drives high performance on teams. Um, but I do think it's the application part where people often you know, don't see the knowledge through, right, into actual application for the purposes of integration. So let's go there next. I know that there's a lot of leaders out there. I mean, I work with leaders one-on-one as an executive coach, and I talk to a lot of them about the fact that they know all about it, right? But they're really afraid to even attempt to start applying any of that knowledge, right? Like there's oftentimes like a lot of resistance to even that. So let's talk about this in terms of some of the most common mistakes that leaders make when they're trying to actually increase or enhance uh, psychological safety on their teams. Carolyn, I'll start with you this time. So what are some of those most common mistakes that leaders make when they're trying to take that knowledge and they're trying to turn it into action and applications? Um, yeah, maybe one of um, one of the kind of um, misunderstandings I often see leaders um, run into is they understand psychological safety is important. However, they think they can kind of... Um, state let's let's have psychological safety let's all um share openly and so on just yeah. by stating this but without any real actions and these actions often require really courage and require the courage to be vulnerable so it it, it doesn't work that the leader um, ask the team to share openly and they themselves hold back. So what's most powerful is when the leader steps ahead and begins and, and that really takes the first step, sharing, for example, openly a mistake and the lessons he or she learned out of it. And this is really not easy to to do, right? Especially as a leader, 
who is maybe trained in being perfect and putting on a mask of perfection and not being vulnerable. So often I see leaders still have this misunderstanding that vulnerability is weakness. Uh-huh. And we are trained that it's the traditional model of leadership. And letting go of this misunderstanding and embracing <laughs> embracing own vulnerability and opening up as a human being, including all all the failures, all the, um, yeah, everything showing up authentically. This is not um, easily done for many leaders. And it's a very powerful step um, establishing a new way of working and interacting together where there is a much higher degree of psychological safety because then everyone else in the team feels invited to show up, to um, take risks, to... um, share failures and so on. So we can't ask our team members to do that, what we ourselves are not willing to do. And beginning with ourselves, that's <laughs> that's not easy. No, it's not. But the model carries the most weight, right, ladies? That's what we say that's in the internet. Manette, what would you say the most common mistakes are here that we make? Well, I think that's so, I've seen that what Carlene said so much, like you come into a room and you say, this is a psychologically safe space and no one believes you because nothing has changed. So I think that's one of them. I would say there's also the other extreme where, you know, I think there's a misunderstanding about what does it mean to show up as a human or as a vulnerable human being? And some, some leaders think that means sharing the most private details about their life and actually making people uncomfortable. And so I think it's you know, it's understanding what we mean when we talk about being human and being vulnerable it doesn't mean sharing your deepest, darkest secrets with your employees or your colleagues, because that's actually going to be off-putting, especially if you don't have that background together. Right. But instead of like, what does it mean to be human? It means you're not perfect. It means you invite other points of view. It means you can admit mistakes. It means you sometimes get distracted and you have to say, I'm sorry, I missed what you said. Let's come back to that. It means, you know, you inadvertently interrupted someone and you're like, I am so sorry, please finish your thought. You catch yourself being human. Mm -hmm. You become self-aware of your own foibles and your own lack of perfection. And you're open about it. That's what it means. It doesn't mean I'm going to tell you my childhood trauma the first time I speak to you, right? Way too much information. <laughs> I think that's that is the biggest probably roadblock here, right? Is as people not really being in alignment with what that actually means, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, if we don't actually know what it means, then oftentimes we we can't actually hit the target in terms of what it is that we're actually trying to do from a vulnerability standpoint. So, what is the rule of thumb? Just because we both used vulnerability in our answers, but what is the rule of thumb in terms of how vulnerable a leader should be if they're looking to enhance psychological safety in their teams? That's probably one of the biggest questions. I'll be honest, I'm asking this because it's one of the biggest questions that I get, right? From my clients. They're like, oh, how much is too much and how much is not enough? Like, how do we discern that or calibrate that? Right. Um, as a leader, do you have any tips in terms of that? Yeah, and I think there's no one size fits all answer. It's completely dependent on context and also on personality style. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense um, to advise someone to share vulnerabilities which 
doesn't fit um, to his or her style where he or she feels not comfortable with. Right. So my um, my um, advice would be that everyone really needs to find what balance is the right one for him or her, depending also on the situation, on the context and so on. But And, and Minette mentioned the self-awareness. And I think that this is critical. And this, this is also one of the big themes running throughout our book. It's so key that um, leaders become more self-aware and maybe then see, as Minette said, catch themselves in situations and have this um, awareness and this kind of observer perspective towards own behavior and what's going on inside themselves and then catch themselves oh here I could share something do I want to is it is it um what's the right balance in the situation so that they are not acting automatically depending on the risk avoiding brain which mm -hmm. is always telling us not to do things right right But they can deliberately and um, choose their actions depending on their personality, context, situation, and so on. So, Yeah, that's great. Because I think it, it, it depends. If you're an extrovert, you're obviously going to share probably a little bit more than your average introvert would, right? But that would be appropriate for you because that fits your personality <laughs> type. And I think when you, you depart too far from the norm or the mean in terms of what people who people know you to be, that creates a whole host of other issues in terms of trust, right? Yeah. So. And, and you, you know, you want to, you don't want to suddenly seem like you've gone to this Jekyll and Hyde other personality, as you're saying, it's like, mm -hmm. then people are going to not believe this is real either. So yeah. you want to, you know, I would say like there, uh, to Caroline's point, there's no one answer on how to be human and vulnerable as a leader, but to take that first step, and it may not be a huge step, but it's mm -hmm. just sharing one thing you haven't shared, or even sharing a mistake or a failure that you want people to learn from and little by little. And, and the other thing, I think that's really important is to know your audience because mm -hmm. yes, be self-aware, but also who are you interacting with? Are you interacting with a group of your peers with whom you've already bonded and you know some mm -hmm. history and you might be able to say something more than you've just, you know, this, I know this often happens. You get a whole new team of people reporting to you. You've never met them before. Um, you've, you know, you just did an acquisition. You've acquired a new team of people. They're reporting to you. You want to show up as the leader that they want to work with, right? So you want to be human, but they don't know you. You're not going to go into some really personal thing probably, but maybe something about you that you're willing to share. So they know more than just, you know, this, this person at the front of Surface. the room that they know nothing about, right? So just something that's going to give them a glimpse of what's important to you. What do you mm -hmm. care about? What doesn't work for you? You know, just something so they get to know who you are. And then little by little, gradually, relationships build, comfort builds, and then you can go deeper. You can be more vulnerable as a group, but don't start out with something that's going to make both you and your audience completely uncomfortable. That's great. That that additional piece around the discernment, right? Around not needing to do it all at once, all overnight. Too stark a contrast is what we're saying, folks, is definitely not going to work either in this department, right? So I think we're naturally evolving into some of the 25 different uh, applications in your book. So in terms of some of the strategic ways that we can start to apply practices that actually are scientifically proven to enhance the psychological safety on your team, 
But let's go there next, shall we, ladies? Caroline, I'll start with you. In terms of the 25, which ones are your favorites and why? <laughs> yeah, 25 moves um, are in our book. So 25 very specific actions you as a leader or as a team member can take. And um, it's not a list of 25 moves. It's not a random collection. We kind of clustered them around key topics, the key kind of levers um, to, to foster psychological safety. So there's the whole area of um, communicating courageously, mastering the art of listening, managing your reactions. That's a lot of self-awareness. Um, embracing risk and failure and designing inclusive rituals. So in each of these five big areas, we have five moves. So, um, and um, speaking about, you ask about my favorites. Faves. I like them all. And um, we, uh, we really put together the most powerful and impactful ways um, you can act and foster psychological safety. Um, I'm a big fan um, of um, of the area embracing risk and failure. As a scientist by training, I, I think it has a lot to do with a more scientific stance towards towards failure and 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 seeing failure as valuable data. So extracting kind of the learning value out of what didn't go well, and um, um, uh, extracting shame and blame out of the out of the failure, and I think there are great ways um, we or leaders can do that in a team. For example, sharing openly a mistake of failure, and then asking, "What can we learn from that?" Or some, if something doesn't go according to plan, not entering, and, and we have this immediate urge to, to ask, okay, who's responsible? Who did this, right? And uh, moving out of this <laughs> automatism and yeah. instead ask, okay, what can we learn from that? That didn't work. What does it mean? And what's the next best experiment? So really moving into a more kind of curious and and, and observing stance um, and having a completely different attitude towards failure. That's not easy because we as human beings don't like failure, right? And mm -hmm. we probably will never like failure. However, the more we cultivate this attitude of curiosity, of openness, of learning, reframing um, failures as learning opportunities, the more it really gets um, kind of a second nature for us and, and for our team. So asking these kind of curious questions when something bad or unplanned or a mistake happens, I these are my favorites. How does that enhance psychological safety for anybody out there who is not able to bridge that? How does that impact the enhancing of trust, right? And rapport amongst you and your, your leader. Having yeah. curious, having a curious growth mindset rather than a fixed one, right? Absolutely. This is very, um, very tightly linked with the growth mindset. So the concept of um, Carol Dweck. Mm -hmm. um, and what's exactly the link to psychological safety? 
psychological safety has a lot to do. Is it safe for me to take risks in, in, in this team? And risk can mean anything. Um, trying new things, which is always linked to a risk that this doesn't work, right? right. So running the risk of failure. But it does also mean, um, is it, am I able and invited in this team to take interpersonal risk? And opening up uh, in a conversation. Um, so being invited to take risk because I can be sure I'm not punished. I'm not punished and my colleagues react with curiosity and encouragement and take it as a learning opportunity. This has um, this is a vital element of psychological safety. Yes, and Manette, how about you? What are your favorites on the list? It is why? hard. It is really hard to pick one or two so, because, you know, we, we believe all of them are so important. But I'll pick, can I pick two rather than just one? Yes, you okay. sure can. Okay. So my number one, maybe, and I think it's just because it was so impactful when I learned about it personally, was managing our reactions. So that's the third mm -hmm. play in the book. And one of the moves that I think is the power play for anyone, leader or not leader, is hitting the pause button. And why that to me is so critical for our relationships and for psychological safety is that we all get defensive. That's, again, the human brain and our species is that, as Carlene said, you know, we had to avoid the saber-toothed tiger. Our brains are designed to keep us alive. And our brains do not distinguish between a physical threat and a social or emotional threat. So if you challenge me and say my idea will never work, my brain is just going to go into that defensive mode naturally. Mm -hmm. But it's the automatic response versus the choice of the response that is going to make the difference. So if I respond automatically, Minette Norman's reaction is going to be to lash back out at you and say, well, your idea is no good either. And, you know, it's going to escalate into something very unproductive. And we're right. not going to have, we're not going to move forward. We're probably going to have hard feelings. We're going to be angry with one another and our relationships start to devolve. Mm -hmm. But what we can instead do is become aware of our own natural tendency to get defensive, recognize those signs that oh, I'm getting hot in the face right now, I'm probably defensive, and just take a brief pause. And that pause can seem quite long to you when you're the one taking the pause, but no one really notices that you just stop for a second, you take a breath, and then you can come back, just as Caroline said, with curiosity, with a follow-up question, like, tell me more about that, I want to understand, we can have productive dialogue. That one practice, because it is a practice that takes, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to, uh, there are times when you're defensive and you lash out and, or you freeze and yeah, yeah. it is the muscle you have to keep working. Mm -hmm. um, but when you get used to it and it becomes part of your daily life to take that pause when someone, when you're feeling defensive or someone challenges you, honestly, the tenor in the room, the tenor in a team changes because people, you want people to challenge one another in a That's safe right. environment. That's how you get to these breakthroughs and innovations and exposing risks and opportunities. But people will not challenge each other if they're constantly feeling like they're being beaten down and embarrassed in public. So you want to be able to have those kinds of conversations. So that's my number one. And the number two that I won't talk about forever, because I think this is what we talked about on one of the times I was on, but 
But designing inclusive rituals, I think we need to be so deliberate in designing things like meetings. And that's where, you know, we, we can just start to focus. How do we run our meetings to be inclusive to everyone? So everyone has a voice. So no one dominates the conversation. So dissenting viewpoints are welcome. That's a, that's a whole separate, you know, we have a small section in our book on it. It can be much bigger. There's much more learning to be done on it. But I think if team members want to focus on what can I do right now? Start to think about how do we make our meetings more inclusive and invite your team members to contribute to what are the rules of engagement we want to have. That's so key too. What is I love Minette, that you're talking about your favorite, um, your favorite play in our, our book. And, and I'm so proud Minette is about to publish a second book about <laughs> focusing. Are we allowed on to talk about it? We can, we can talk about it. It's pretty exciting. It comes, it's a little more than four months out from release, but um, I can, I just got my first printed copy of Ooh, The Boldly Inclusive Leader. It's beautiful, Minette. Look at that. Oh, audience, you can't see what I can see right now, but stay <laughs> tuned because we'll be having Minette back on the show real quick to talk about that one. Sorry, Carly. The inclusive leader. So that's really focused on how, how can you build a more inclusive yeah. culture. Fantastic. Let's, let's talk about the power play. I love the sporting uh, terminology. Was that just for me, Vanetta? I caught it that. It was for you. I, oh. I was bringing out my sports <laughs> metaphors for I you. I noticed and I really appreciate it. But um, let's go there next, right? Just in terms of inclusivity, we're talking about this. This has never been more important than it is right now. I feel like this is definitely the thing I'm correlating the most that I'm most excited about thus far in our interviews here in 2023 on the show, right? Which is the world's foremost leaders like yourselves and this whole human-centric leadership space. You know, at the start of the pandemic, when Rob and I launched this show, we were saying, We want to change the way the game of business is being played forever through heart-centric, human-centric leadership. This is the future of work. This is the future of the work. But now I've been calibrating our experts saying we're here, right? So I just have to, since we have you girls in studio, I have to send this your way. And I have to ask you, like, what are you seeing out there in 2023 in terms of human-centric leadership? Are you seeing more people than ever coming to the table right? To, to engage in work like this and purchase the book? Like, what is your feedback on that, the current state of leadership? Are we seeing oh, that? I'm going to let Caroline start with that one. Yes. She's been I working with to. a lot of big leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely see rising response to this kind of topic. And I mean, earlier we discussed why, um, why is it not yet kind of um, uh, integral part of I don't know, education, onboarding leaders, promoting leaders, and so on. Um, the the these kind of, of skills. And there's kind of a lagging behind, right? Mm-hmm. Um for decades, psychological safety is a known concept. And it's it's not earlier than now than that companies realize this is really a top priority. We need to put it on our strategic agenda and make it a strategic priority. And we see there's a big appetite and a big need for that around the globe in big companies. Um, So yes, um, it's becoming more and more a topic and um, there's increasing awareness in companies um, and I think it's it's just the right time right now 
to really put it on top of companies' strategic agenda. So um, I'm optimistic that things will change for the better um, right now and in the near future. Love yeah, that. we've been very encouraged um, how people from around the globe and different industries and different fields have been wanting to get the book and wanting to do work around the book in their organizations, very large organizations. So there's appetite. I, I think the one thing that worries me a bit, and it may be because I'm sitting here in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, and there's been so many, there have been so many layoffs, right? Mm. And the worry I have there is that companies kind of go back when they say we're in hard economic times, we're going to pull back from these things yeah. that we thought were really important. We've been hearing, for example, about a lot of people that were hired to head up diversity, equity, inclusion, losing their jobs, like, oh, we didn't really mean it, you know? So there's a little bit of a worry that I have there that there was investment that then people are pulling back on. I hope that is a blip and that companies and organizations and leaders will realize like it doesn't matter whether we're going through tough economic times in fact it's even more important that we double down on people and culture and how we interact if we're going to be successful and i believe you know most leaders will get that but there's just this little worry in my mind because i see that people are being cautious with their budget for example that's my concern yeah. that's my concern too and caroline i want you to rip on that right because yeah, it's that yeah. I, mean, I i completely um uh, understand and agree with this um worry and i also see kind of an opportunity um where companies see oh we can bring this together and i know there's a lot of um discussion around caring performance for example that's a term term coined by a potential leadership a potential project um how can you do the tough things in a human way so yes there will always be probably difficulties, challenges. And we are living in an accelerating VUCA world and so on. And this is not going um, away in the near future, I suppose, right? Um, however, how can we um, not only keep being human, but maybe be even more human and deal with these challenges? And I see a big opportunity bringing these both aspects together. So um, I'd, I'd like to introduce a little bit optimism <laughs> in this in this uh, worry. Well, we're definitely the optimistic locker room, ladies. But I do think I do see the same thing happening, right? People are pulling, leaders are pulling the emergency brake, right, out of fear. But that's what we're saying or suggesting. Destroy psychological safety. You can't be at the front of the helm making decisions in fear, folks. It's not going to make your people feel safe. So, yeah, I just think like the way that I'm talking about this to my leaders is this is your competitive advantage. Like mm -hmm. people be pulling that emergency brake left, right, and center, and you can double down on this. I think it's Warren Buffett talks about downturns are our biggest opportunity times in business, right? We were saying that at the start of the disruption. And yeah, I'm saying it here too. Before we go, I want to just give you ladies the floor and ask you if there's anything else that we haven't covered in our thorough excavation of this today that you would like to say or leave with our audience. Manette, I'll start with you. 
Okay. Well, I, I will say that if you're interested in learning more about our book, we have a website with a bunch of free content. So it's the psychologicalsafetyplaybook.com. We invite you to go there, explore, sign up for our mailing list. We'll stay in touch and we won't spam you, but we'll send you interesting information and then get the book. And then what we ask is interact with us because what we want to know is what's working, what's missing. What do you want to know more about? We're on LinkedIn. We're very active. Our emails available on our website. We just want to interact with people from all industries from around the globe to find out how we can help really build this movement, as you're talking about, changing the world of work for the better for everybody, making it more human, making it safer to do our best work. So uh, that's what I would say. And I would say that every single person, no matter what level you're at in an organization, you have more power than you know to influence the culture for everyone for the better. So do one small thing today and tomorrow and keep doing it. And you can make amazing change that you never thought was possible. Yeah. And I, I'd love to, I'd love to add, um, um, you have more power than you think. And our book offers you 25 very specific, specific things you could try out And um, our book is not only called a playbook, it is a playbook, an invitation to pick something and just go ahead and experiment with it, try it out. And um, for example, our very first element is asking the question, what am I missing? Part of um, speaking, communicating courageously. And just go ahead and, and try these little things and see what happens and what fits to your style and to your context and what, yeah, you have more influence than you think and the steps can be smaller than you think and can have bigger effect. And um, we really want to encourage you and invite you to be playful about um, actions to drive forward psychological safety. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, this definitely is the playbook, ladies. It's full of actionable strategies. There's absolutely no excuse for any leader out there listening. Now we know this is a journey we're going to have to go on at some point. And we also probably understand after today's conversation, it's a journey that's going to take time. It's going to take reps, right? <laughs> so... I hope everybody listening is already on their Amazon account, ordering this to their homes or their offices. Here's where I'm going to switch it up. Minette, I know you were here last time, so you know we have the big legacy question that we love to land on. But I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going to combine this for the two of you and ask you what you want the legacy of this work that you're doing around psychological safety to be in the world. I'll go. I, I saw Minette sit back. She, she needs a second to think on that. <laughs> Caroline, you you step up to the mic and let us know your thoughts on this no, one. That, that's a big question. Um, and Only big questions here, right? <laughs> Minette, Minette knows. And actually, um, one of my really core values is contribution. So I'm really dedicated to contribute. And um, this, I mean, that's a big question and maybe a big answer and it may sound pathetic, but I really mean it. I'm um, dedicated and convinced that all that's also possible to make the world of work a better place, meaning that we all feel better working. And I think work is such 
a big element in our life, right? We spend so such a big part of our waking hours working. And it I'm I'm just I'm 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 devastated sometimes to see how people suffer. They are they are really suffering from a lack of psychological safety. And mm -hmm. this is something <laughs> I definitely want to change or at least contribute to changing that. So contributing to making really the workplace safer for everyone to be at their best because if you experience psychological safety it really it's it's so enjoyable you can contribute you can really be creative you can show up as the human being you are and really bring your full potential and i'd love that workplaces really improve in that direction I love it. Mm. And Manette? That's a, that, I mean, I don't think I could say it any better than what Kylie said. I want my legacy and our legacy of this work to change the world of work because, you know, that suffering, I do want to underline that people are suffering at work. And what mm -hmm. I want to give people is possibility that it can be different and that it doesn't have to be through huge reorganizations. It is through small everyday behavioral changes that we can change how people experience work where we spend so much of our time. And I hope that I can contribute to that positive experience for many, many people. It's one of the reasons that I went out on my own because I thought I can't just work in one organization. I want right. to be able to affect change on a, on a larger scale. And that's why writing a book is a way to do that by engaging with people around the globe. And so I'm, I hope the legacy is that we improve the workplace for many people in many industries, in many places around the world. Well, we know this book is already making waves, but we are about to turn those waves into a tidal wave of impact and legacy factor. For those who missed it the first time, The book is called The Psychological Safety Playbook, Lead More Powerfully by Being More Human. Uh, where can everybody find that book? I want to make sure I give you ladies an opportunity to let people know where they can find the book and where they can find you if they have any more questions or want to reach out. Sure. The book is available on all the online book retailers. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, Bookshop, Bookshop.org, all of them. Um, what's the one, Caroline, that has the free international shipping? What's that one called? Do you remember? Book dep depository. Big book depository. Yeah, they have free worldwide shipping. So in case you're, you don't have an Amazon near you. And then um, where they can find us, we're both on LinkedIn. So Caroline Helbig, Minette Norman, and also our website, thepsychologicalsafetyplaybook.com, where there are links to reach out to us. Of course, we will include all those links in the show notes, including the link to find the book. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. This was so much fun as I knew it would be. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing this episode with a friend or a couple of friends in your leadership tribe. Please share this far and as wide as you possibly can and help us turn that ripple effect into a giant tidal wave of impact and change. This is when the world needs this type of heart-centric, human-centric leadership more than ever. 
for everything else, uh, leadership development, training opportunities, please visit the website, EliteHighPerformance.com. We've got a really exciting Aspiring Leaders program starting here in May. We're trying to close this gap that we see where the average leader doesn't even get training formally till 46. So for more information on all of that, you can find it at the website. Ladies, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back again, Manette, to talk about your next book. Uh, For everybody else, thank you for tuning in. Have a fabulous week, and we will see you next time.